0: and you are listening to Looking Up with Don. This is the Looking Up with Don podcast, episode number 37 for the week of September 16th, 2020. The related website for this podcast is donmacholz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com. Two H's. What's up in the sky this week? As our week begins on Wednesday, September 16th, the moon is nearly new, being new on Thursday, September 17th, at 1059 Universal Time. The day before, Wednesday morning, September 16th, try looking for the thin crescent moon about 24 hours before new moon. The mid-northern hemisphere is favored for this viewing. After new moon, the moon passes into the evening sky And you might want to try to see the thin lunar crescent on the evening of September 17th or 18th. The southern hemisphere is favored for this. The moon then moves through our evening southern sky, growing brighter each night. By next Tuesday, it will be 40% full. This is called the waxing phase, as the moon is getting brighter and more full each night. When the moon is in the morning sky, it is dimming each successive night. That is called the waning phase. Will you be able to see the International Space Station this week, which for our purposes begins Wednesday, September 16th, and runs through Tuesday, September 22nd? It depends upon where you live. This week we have five zones If you live north of 45 degrees north, the International Space Station will be in your evening sky, sometimes twice per night, beginning midweek and going through the end of the week. Greenland, Canada, get out there this weekend. If you live from 30 to 45 degrees north, the ISS will be in your evening sky all week, sometimes twice on some nights. Most of the U.S. show your friends and neighbors. If you live between the equator and 30 degrees north, the ISS will be in your skies for only the first few days of the week. Mostly in your morning sky, but it might also make an appearance in your evening sky. Central America, India, Yemen, that is you. Between the equator and 35 degrees south, The ISS will be in your morning sky beginning halfway through this week. Brazil, Australia, that is you. South of 35 degrees south, the ISS will not be visible this week. New Zealand, southern Argentina, that is you. To determine where it will be in your sky... Go to the website, heavens-above.com, and enter your location, then click on ISS. A decade of comets. We are doing a series on my 1985 book, A Decade of Comets. This 110-page study of the 33 comets, visually discovered by amateur astronomers from 1975 through 1984, can be downloaded free from my website, donmacholtz.com. Last week was Part 2A. This week is Part 2B. Part 2 of this book is about each of the 33 visual comet discoveries during this decade. And Part 2 is broken into three parts, 2A, 2B, and 2C. You may download this week's part free from my website. It is Podcast 37, A Decade of Comets, Part 2b. This week we cover comets number 13 through 24. Last week I mentioned how Doug Berger discovered comet kobayashi berger He found it accidentally while observing the globular cluster M2 in July 1975. Doug Berger is also known for inventing something in 1973 that we celebrate every year, Astronomy Day. In fact, if you go to your favorite search engine and look up Doug Berger, B-E-R-G-E-R, Astronomer, you'll learn a lot about Astronomy Day, not so much about the comet discovery. Here's an odd fact that we will cover again when we discuss part five of this book, but it's relevant here. Now, the 33 comets have 45 names on them, as some of the 33 comets have two or three discoverers. Meanwhile, some of the comet hunters found more than one comet during this decade, 1975 through '84. So, a total of 26 individuals visually discovered one or more comets during that decade. Now, here's a surprising thing. 21 of the 26 individuals found their first comet during this decade, 1975 through 1984. Six of the 21 went on to find their second or third comet during this same decade. By the way... Of those 26 comet discoverers, four lived in the Southern Hemisphere, while 22 lived in the Northern Hemisphere. To recap a bit of last week, one comet was discovered in September 1977, the the first visual find in 18 months. Then, as we go into 1978, Bradfield found one in February and Rolf Meyer found one in late April. Then, no comet discoveries in May, June, July, and August of 1978. Now fasten your seat belts because suddenly things got very hot. How hot? Five comets in six weeks. This hot streak was followed by no visual comet discoveries for more than eight months. Go figure. Our first comet this week is the 13th of the 33 we are examining in this book. It was discovered on September 1st, 1978, and is called Periodic Comet Haenda Campos, 1978 J. Each comet is given the year, plus a letter designating the order of discovery or recovery for, for that year. So, a comet 1978 J was found in 1978, and the letter J indicates the 10th comet recovered or discovered in 1978. In 1995, that method of naming comets changed. Toshio Hayenda, H A N E D A, of Japan, 69 years old, one of the oldest comet hunters, found this, his first comet, after searching 463 hours over 16 years. He was using a 3.3-inch or 85-millimeter refractor. He had been sweeping the western sky, but clouds forced him to sweep the north and then the southern sky where he discovered the comet. Nine hours later, Jose de Selva Campos, of Durban, South Africa, swept up the same comet using his 5-inch, 13-centimeter, refractor. Now, Campbell had spent 116 hours to find this, his first comet. The comet was 10th magnitude at Discovery. A few oddities about this discovery. One comet discoverer was from the Northern Hemisphere, and one was from the Southern Hemisphere. That's very rare. The comet was 141 degrees from the sun in the evening sky. Normally, comet hunters do not sweep that far from the sun. Finally, this was a periodic comet with an orbital period of just under six years. The comet was brightest at discovery, and it approached both the Earth and the sun, but it did not brighten as it expected. Pre-discovery images were found from some of the major observatories and one on August 10th, 1978, 3 weeks before discovery, showed it at a 13 magnitude to 14 magnitude object, and one taken the next day showed it at magnitude 11. I swept over it on August 9th, 10th, and on August 30th, which was 2 days before discovery without seeing it. If it was brighter than magnitude 10.8, I probably would have found it. When Hayenda found it on September 1st, he said it was magnitude 10. Campbell's nine hours later, said it was magnitude 9. Could it have been outbursting shortly before discovery? Meanwhile, after discovery, I saw the comet on September 7th and 9th, but could not find it on September 8th. At that time, amateurs were estimating the brightness of the comet between magnitude 9 and and 10.5. I had estimated it at 10.4. The comet faded rapidly after that date by the end of October. It had faded to magnitude 15. The comet was never seen again. It was to return in 1984 to 5 and was not seen. It was to return again in 1991 and also was not seen. That comet is now considered lost. The next comet was discovered by me on Tuesday, September 12, 1978. I was sweeping the pre-dawn sky with my 10-inch, 25-centimeter reflector at 36 power with a 2.8-degree field. This was my first named comet discovery, coming 1,700 hours in 3.7 years and 691 sessions. The comet was found 2 degrees south of the bright star Cirrus, and it was magnitude 10.7 at discovery. It is known as Comet Macholtz-1978L. My notes show that I swept over the comet without seeing it on August 29th and again on September 8th. On that latter date, four days before I actually found it, I picked up the open cluster 2309 about magnitude 10.5. The comet has a hyperbolic orbit and is not expected to return. The next comet was found on October 1, 1978, by David Sargent of the entrance New South Wales in Australia. It's known as Comet Sargent 1978M. This was his first named comet discovery and came after 600 to 700 hours of searching. He was using 15 by 80 binoculars to find this comet and it was found in the morning sky, only 35 degrees from the sun, and it was rather bright at 5th magnitude. The comet performed well for the next few weeks and then faded rapidly by late November. If the comet had behaved normally, it should have been discovered in late July or August in the northern evening sky at magnitude 10. My notes show that I swept over it without seeing it with my 10-inch, 25-centimeter reflector on July 2nd, and again on July 29th. We have two more comets in this stretch of five comets in six weeks. The next one was discovered on October 9th, 1978 by Fujikawa of Japan. He was using his 20 by 120 binoculars and had been searching for three years and 525 search hours since his last find. This was his fourth named comet discovery. Two days after Fujikawa found this comet, Kazumerus Cernis of the USSR found it using 20 by 120 binoculars, but he was unable to properly relay the information of his discovery. This comet was found in the morning sky, 39 degrees from the sun and at magnitude 10.0. It was 20 degrees high in Fujikawa's sky when he found it. That is about typical for visual comet discoveries. Between mid-August and mid-September, the comet was magnitude 11.7 and brightening to 9.7 in the southern evening sky, but it was not discovered. The comet was diffuse, and that makes discovery difficult, and perhaps its magnitude was not consistent. As the orbit was determined, it was noted that this was the same comet as found by William Denning in 1881. So the name was changed to Periodic Comet Denning-Fujikawa 1978N. It was initially reported as Comet Fujikawa. Since the comet naming rule change in 1995, the name is not announced until the orbit is determined, so the comet does not need to be renamed if it is found to be a lost returning comet. Dr. Brian Marsden pointed out that the comet was missed in October 1916, September 1960, September 1969, all times when it should have been discoverable. With an orbital period of nine years and not seen for almost 100 years, there were other times it came by, but those appearances would not have been as favorable. But with that orbital period of nine years, it would ex- was expected that the comet would return every nine years. It was not seen in 1987 or 1996, nor was it seen in 2005. But it was picked up in 2014. This seems to be a transitional object going from a comet to an asteroid. And sometimes when it comes by, it's more active as a comet, and other times it's nearly invisible as an asteroid. One day later, on October 10th, William Bradfield of Australia discovered his 8th comet, Comet Bradfield 1978O. It was in the morning sky, 32 degrees from the sun, and magnitude 8.4. Bradfield was again using his 6-inch, 15-centimeter refractor, and had searched for 75 hours in the 8 months since his previous find. Following discovery... The comet continued to move south, fading to magnitude 11 within a month. Now, prior to discovery, it was behind the sun and emerged into the morning sky when it was discovered. Many morning sky comets are found this way after they emerge from behind the sun. That is still true today with the very few visual comet discoveries that we have. Generally, those are comets that are coming out from behind the sun. Now, Bradfield's comet discovery was the third one found in that lunation, the third found in 10 days, and the fifth in six weeks. A very busy time for comet hunters, and no comet hunter made more than one of these discoveries during this stretch. Now we're going to coast through the next eight months with no visual comet discoveries. Was everyone taking a break, or were there no comets to be found? Would you like to guess who found the next comet? None other than William Bradfield of Australia. He found it on June 24, 1979, 1979C. Bradfield was again using his 6-inch, 15-centimeter refractor and had searched for 98 hours since his previous find 8 months prior. This was Bradfield's ninth comet discovery, and Daniel Green pointed out that with this discovery, Bradfield passed William Reed's record of 8 finds from South Africa between 1918 and 1927. With nine discoveries, Bradfield in 1979 became the most successful Southern Hemisphere visual comet hunter. By time he passed away in 2014, Bradfield discovered 18 comets, all found south of the equator and all having only his name attached with no shared discoveries. This comet was found at magnitude 10.2 and 44 degrees from the sun in the evening sky. It was 16 degrees high in Bradfield's sky, and he found it 40 minutes after astronomical twilight. It was the day of new moon, so the moon had been out of the evening sky for nearly two weeks, meaning someone searching that area probably could have found it earlier. Three months later, on September 20th, 1979, Rolf Meyer found his second comet. It was found with the 16-inch reflector owned by the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada near Ottawa. Meyer found this comet 17 months and 29 search hours after his previous find. All of his comet discoveries and this is his second and he was to later find two more, were found in very few search hours. At Discovery, this comet was faint, magnitude eleven point eight, the faintest discovered comet of the thirty-three that we discover in this book. It was found far north at sixty eight degrees declination. It is known as comet Meyer nineteen seventy eight I. This comet was was followed by amateur astronomers for the next four months, peaking at magnitude 11.5. It will return in 391 years. Our next comet was discovered on Christmas Eve, December 24, 1979, by William Bradfield of Australia, 1979L. He was using his 6-inch, 15-centimeter refractor and had searched 67 hours since his previous find six months earlier. With this discovery, he had found three of the last four visual discoveries and his third discovery in 15 months. An early orbit suggested this might be identical to the comet of 1770, Roman numeral two. However, as more positions came in and the orbit was refined, it was found this is actually a different comet, and it will return in 239 years. The comet was magnitude 5.0, that's rather bright, but it was only 26 degrees from the sun as seen from the Earth. This comet at 5th magnitude was bright, but in the morning twilight sky, and Bradfield found it 24 minutes after astronomical twilight, it can be difficult to see. We have seen with comets Swan and NEOWISE that even a bright comet can be difficult when seen in twilight. For Bradfield, this comet was 11 degrees above his southeastern horizon in southern Scorpius. This was Bradfield's 10th comet discovery. It seems that this comet could have been found earlier if its brightness curve were normal. My records show that I swept the area that it was in on November 5th, seven weeks before it was found by Bradfield. It should have been magnitude 9.2 and 28 degrees from the sun. That night I picked up M9 in 6356, but not the comet. So either I swept simply swept over it, and it was magnitude 9.2 and a few degrees above the horizon, or it was fainter than what the pre-discovery prediction would say. The comet did flare in brightness on February 3rd, six weeks after discovery, so perhaps the brightness of this comet was not running on prediction. Following discovery, the comet performed well, visible in binoculars first in the Southern Hemisphere, then in the Northern Hemisphere. By the way, this is the fourth time that I swept over an area that contained an undiscovered comet that was later discovered by someone else. Add to that the comet I did discover, which I swept over both two weeks and again a few mornings before I eventually found it. Five misses in five years is probably not a record, but it was disturbing to me as I was out there hundreds of hours per year and missing some of these comets. But I knew that at least I was looking in the right area and at the right times. The comets were just fainter than what I could detect with my 10-inch, 25-centimeter reflector. End of editorial, now back to the comets. It would be seven months until the next discovery, and it was by two amateur astronomers sweeping side-by-side in the former Soviet Union. They are Casimiris Cernes and Jovieris Petyaskis. Cernes was using a pair of 20 by 110 binoculars and had searched for 880 hours to find this, his first-named comet. Petracheus used 12 by 80 binoculars and had searched for about a hundred hours to find this comet. It was discovered on July 31st in the evening sky in the constellation Ursa Major at magnitude 8.5. This was the first named comet discovery for each of these two men. Cernus had found comets Bradfield in 1974... Kobayashi-Berga-Milan in 1975 and Denning-Fujikawa in 1978. But in each case, it was after the original discoverers and he was unable to get the word to the Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory in time. This discovery was not confirmed for three weeks. This was because the comet faded after discovery Communications to the Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory were slow. And it was moving three times faster than originally reported. So the rest of us were trying to find it, and we were all having trouble. I recall those nights. But it was found and confirmed. Comet Cernus Petroscus, 1980 K. It continued to dim, But it it did show a short anti-tail for a few days. That tail pointed towards the sun and was due to the geometry of the comet Sun-Earth. It was actually material shed by the comet that appeared to point towards the sun. Our next comet was discovered on November 6, 1980 by Rolf Meyer. Comet Meyer... 1980 Q was magnitude 10.3 and 75 degrees from the sun in the northwestern evening sky. Meyer was again using the 16-inch reflector, and this was his third find coming 25 search hours and 13 months after his previous discovery. Following discovery... The comet dimmed slightly, then went into the morning sky where it brightened to magnitude 9. On April 26, 1981, it passed directly over the star Octurus. It is possible that this comet could have been found earlier, but it wasn't. Prior to discovery, it slowly traveled through the North Polar region, and this area is not covered much by visual comet hunters so no one found it until Rolf Meyer did. Our next comet, 1980T, was discovered by William Bradfield of Australia, his 11th find. This was found in the morning, only 22 degrees from the sun in magnitude 6. It came 51 weeks and 113 search hours since his previous find. And this comet's position at discovery was about one degree from where he had found his previous comet one year before. Instead of using his 6-inch refractor, Bradfield used his 7 by 35 binoculars. Now this is the smallest aperture for any comet discovery in this study. He swept the morning sky on December 6th. Then it was clouded out until December 17th. On that morning, he did 1.5 hours of sweeping with a six inch refractor. Then he turned to the seven by 35 binoculars to check the twilight sky. 18 minutes after the start of the morning astronomical twilight and seven degrees high, he found this comet. He then swung his telescope to the area and saw the comet with a tail. By the way, all of his other finds were with the 6-inch refractor except for two in which he used a 10-inch reflector. We'll discuss one of those next week. The comet put on a good show. As it went behind the sun and entered the northern evening sky at magnitude 5, it displayed a tail 5 degrees long. I recall setting up a telescope in my garage, which faced west, and seeing it from my home in San Jose, California. My late wife Laura saw it and said it was the first comet she had seen, which actually looked like a comet. The final comet that we will discuss this week, number 24 of this decade, is Comet Panther, 1980U. Roy Panther of Walgrave near Northampton, England, discovered this his first comet on Christmas night, December 25th, 1980. He had been sweeping for 601.5 hours over 699 nights for 33 years to find this comet. He began comet hunting in July 1947 with a 3-inch, 80-millimeter refractor. For this discovery, he was using an uh, 8-inch, 20-centimeter reflector at F4, 35 magnification. Through the years, he missed three comets by only a few degrees. This comet was found about 3 degrees east of the bright star Vega. Comet Panther was found in the northern evening sky at magnitude 9.7. On February 12th, it passed about a half a degree from the North Celestial Pole, a good time to photograph it since with a longer exposure photograph, it will not trail. Pre-discovery photos showed the comet was magnitude 12.5 on October 28th, and then it brightened rapidly in one month, down to 10.3. That concludes Comets number 13 through 24, Of the 33 comets found from 1975 through 84. We will cover the final nine comets next week. Now for the comets that you can see from your skies this week. The positions in right ascension and declination for these comets are available on podcast 35 Comet Positions. The first three are found on podcast 37, map one and map two, with map two being a close-up of two comets. Comet 2017 T2 Panstars and comet 2020 F3 NeoWISE are tracking each other in our southwestern evening sky. Both are magnitude 11 and dimming. Periodic comet 88P Howell is also shown on podcast 37, map 2. This, again, is a close-up map showing the area, and Comet pan and NEOWISE are on this map, too. Comet Howell is magnitude 10 and slowly brightening. It passes near the globular clusters M80 and M4, but by time it gets to M4, the moon will be a factor. Try to see these three comets before the end of this weekend while the moon is still not too bright. We have a 10th magnitude comet in our morning sky. It is called Comet 2020M3, ATLAS. All letters in the word ATLAS are capitalized as it stands for the Asteroid Terrestrial Impact Last Alert System, ATLAS. Discovered on June 27th, deep in the southern sky, this comet is moving northward, and it is well-placed just before dawn. Podcast 37, Map 3, is a close-up map for Comet Atlas. It will be closest to the sun in late October, and closest to the Earth in mid-November. You have been listening to Looking Up With Dawn, podcast episode number 37 for September 16th, 2020. I'm Don Mockholtz. Once again, the related website for this podcast is donmockholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z dot com. Two H's. God willing and pod willing, I'll be back next week for another episode of Looking Up with Dawn. We will discuss what's going on in the sky and look at more comet discovery stories from the book A Decade of Comets. All that and more. Thank you for listening. See the sky this week. I'll see you next week.